Okay. Let's get this party started. This is Matins, and I'm Father Matkin. Glad to have you with us. Um, today, we've got a little bit shorter segment, and I just want to do a couple of book reviews, quick book reviews. Uh, before we get into that, uh, let's have our prayer. So this is from the uh, 2019 Book of Common Prayer in the Office for Matins, or Morning Prayer. Um, the Collect for Peace, which is designated especially for Tuesdays. Let us pray. O God, who art the author of peace and lover of concord, in knowledge of whom standeth our eternal life, whose service is perfect freedom, defend us, thy humble servants, in all assaults of our enemies, that we, surely trusting in thy defense, may not fear the power of any adversaries, through the might of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Once again, I'm Father Timothy Matkin, the rector here at St. Francis Anglican Church in Dallas. Glad you joined us. You can listen to us on Apple and Spotify podcast or on YouTube. I hope you will like the program and uh, share it with others. And uh, if you're listening on audio, give it a review. These things help us get noticed and uh, help get the word out. If you would like to write to me, you can write to me at frmatkin at priest.com. So I remember back not too long ago, uh, I had a... Clergy friend who was uh, visiting, and um, he's uh, he does some kind of coaching uh, work, and th- that wasn't the occasion of the visit. But when he was in my office, he was kind of looking around. He was like, well, "I, I want to see what you've been reading lately. Uh, I, I want to check your diet. Uh, you know, what have you been putting into your mind?" And I thought that was an interesting way to to put it because I never really thought about it too much like that. But um, you know, he's right. Um, continuing education is um, a good part of um, so many disciplines, but of course, especially for the clergy. And uh, so I'm always reading something, um, and I'm rarely reading fiction, uh, rarely, rarely reading uh, Mad Magazine <laughs> or some, uh, something that's more kind of fluff in entertainment. Um, I get plenty of uh, you know, video entertainment, so that, that kind of takes care of that. But I'm always reading uh, some nonfiction. Uh, sometimes I got two or three books juggling at the same time. It's hard for me to finish books. It's easy for me to start. It's hard for me to finish because I read very, very slowly. And I always highlight and make notes. And uh, so, but I was able to finish a couple of books lately. Uh, It took me quite a while, but um, I at least had got started uh, back during the summer. So there's two books. And uh, after we're done with this, I will put links to these books in the show notes here. Uh, But the first one is about the death penalty and Catholic philosophy and theology. By man shall his blood be shed. Um, And the uh, subheading is a Catholic defense of capital punishment. And the title goes back to Genesis and uh, the story of Noah. And of course, remember, before Noah, the world is filled with violence. And so after Noah, there's kind of this change of policy And uh, so, really, capital punishment is God's own invention, because he says, henceforth, from now on, things are going to be different. From now on, if someone kills someone, they need to be executed. Um, And so that's where that comes from. Um, By man shall his blood be shed. And then what continues on after that is so important, because man was made in the image of God. That is, it is his dignity and um, being made in God's own image, uh, being an image bearer that requires uh, uh, 
retributive justice. That's a big uh, word that comes up in this book, uh, retribution or retributive justice. Overall, I would give this book a thumbs up and um, encourage anyone who wants to learn more about this topic to read it. It it certainly is a good um, layout of the argument and um, deals very well with uh, all kinds of objections, uh, theoretical objections, practical objections, theological objections, and so on. It sort of addresses everything that you would think of when you say, but what about... My only criticism of the book is that it does get a little bit dry, especially in the first part, uh, when it's more dealing with philosophy and natural law and that sort of thing. It also does get a little bit, uh, I think, too much um, of an in-house discussion between uh, traditional natural law theology and something that the the new natural law um, philosophy and theology. Uh, so I guess I think it gets a little bit too far into the weeds. Also, it gets a little bit repetitive at some point, and that may be due to the fact that this has two different authors. And so it, it may relate to, you know, one taking one part, one taking the other part, I don't know, one taking the theology part, one taking the philosophy part or something. And so then maybe there's a little bit more overlap than there otherwise would be with just one author. One of the most fascinating things is that it starts out with a little um, vignette introducing the topic, um, telling the story of Giovanni Battista Bugatti, who was the Vatican executioner between 1796 and 1865. He executed 516 condemned criminals. More than four-fifths of those were for murder. So he was um, the official executioner, well, I I should say not of the Vatican. That's getting to be a little bit later. Vatican City State only goes back to the mid-1900s, I guess in the deal with Mussolini. But he was the executioner for the Papal States, so a a larger section of Italy, where the Pope um, was basically the king. So you have a a church-run regular civil government, uh, as well as, um, you know, a church government, um, just as you do, I guess, now in the Vatican City State, but it's just so small that nobody ever gives it much thought. But you have, you know, a Vatican police force, and you have Vatican ATMs, and, you know, all that kind of regular stuff that a civil society would have. And so Bugatti um, is kind of like a a reminder that the church was not always against capital punishment. And then they argue also that, in a sense now, the church is not against capital punishment, at least not up until um, Pope Francis um, attempted to change Catholic doctrine and um, revised the statement on capital punishment from the um, Catechism of the Catholic Church not too long ago. Um, One of the objections is, um, what about, um, uh, you know, capital punishment may be kosher in terms of theory, but what about practice? Um, What about its implementation? So they go through not just uh, kind of theoretical things, but also practical cases, looking at examples from around the country, looking at representative uh, cases, and dealing with those uh, 
illustrating how, um, it, and really they just cover the United States. They don't really get into the question in other uh, civil governments. So some, someone who may be in favor of capital punishment in theory may be against its application in a local context because of the argument that, well, it's not carried out like it should be. Um, it's used arbitrarily, it's used unjustly, something like that. So they, they make a very good case by example, by actual example, that it is carried out in a sound way in our society. Another thing that they address is the idea that um, really much like uh, Pope John Paul II uh, did, he, he never overturned the traditional doctrine, uh, but what he did was basically say that it's, it's no longer relevant anymore. We've kind of moved beyond that. It's not necessary anymore. And the church has always had the uh, take that it, it doesn't necessarily need to be applied, but it's something that can and perhaps uh, ought to be applied, depending on the circumstance. But if you're in a situation where there is no danger of uh, further harm to society, um, uh, life without parole um, could be uh, an option. So that seems to be the, the uh, argument that John Paul II was making, and they deal with, with all that extensively. So if you're interested, uh, check this out if you want to learn more about capital punishment and, uh, and really see the illustration of both sides. And as I, as I said, after this, I'll put a link to that book. The other one was this one, Timothy Gordon's uh, The Case for Patriarchy, um, a very, uh, I wouldn't say inflammatory title, but uh, engaging title, uh, clickbaity title. And um, it is not just making the case for patriarchy, but also analyzing the difficulties, the problems with feminism. And I think that's really the strong suit of the book. Um, the downsides of the book, um, the downside is it's written by Timothy Gordon. <laughs> and what I mean by that is he has an extensive vocabulary. And so this book is, I'm sure with all his other books, this is the first one that I've read, is peppered with all kinds of fancy $5 words. <laughs> so you need a dictionary to, to, to read it, to go along with it. Now, of course, most, most of the things you can kind of figure out uh, with the context. Um, and in fact, if I wasn't familiar with him in video format first, I would have been reading this and I thought, what a pretentious, you know. But he really talks like that all the time. And so, you know, I know going in, that's the real him. He's not trying to sound impressive. He's not trying to sound fancier, smarter than thou. Um, that's just him. That's how he really is. So I would suggest to him um, that he have somebody kind of comb through this and uh, level it out a little bit for the average reader. Um, you don't have to make it just totally dumbed down, by all means, no. Um, but smooth it out a little bit. Uh, make it not so, um, not sounds quite so technical for the average reader. That's, the, that's really my only criticism. There's also one more bit that I would criticize. Um, later in the book, uh, he gets into this whole fat-shaming thing uh, that just seems to be a diversion, a digression, and one that is unhelpful and unnecessary and uh, might end up being a, kind of a distraction from the whole thing. Another thing, not a criticism of the words on the page, but... Um, this book, 
the binding broke on it. It split. And uh, I've never had that happen from this publisher before. It seemed like a very tightly bound uh, hardback. And uh, it just totally broke apart on me. So I'm going to get some glue, maybe some tacky glue, something that has a, a bit of a flexibility to it when it dries, and see if I can fill that in and, and uh, have it uh, at least tighten up for me uh, for future reference. It's a good reference book. One of the best um, references I found was going through the different waves of feminism, the feminist movement, going back to the 1800s. And one thing he did make a very good case for, which was totally surprising to me, and I'm sure will be for almost all of his readers, is that, um, you know, the second, third, fourth waves of feminism, the, the impression is, is that new ideas get added to it. And he makes a very good argument that, no, that's wrong. All of the ideas that you hear now, and in the different waves of feminism, they all go back to the original. You can find all of these statements in the first feminist uh, arguments that are written up in the 1800s. Uh, what you have, rather, is kind of waves of success uh, rather than waves of thought. Uh, so the, the, the most easy-to-implement ideas catch on first, um, that uh, the w women should, should have the right to vote, uh, that they should pay, be paid uh, a comparable salary to men. Uh, that there shouldn't be any disparity in terms of pay, and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, but then, you know, as, as, as society moves on and progresses and catches up, then some of these other elements become more, um, more sellable, more palatable, um, and, and, and easier uh, convincing of society as you go along. Um, what other things to point out? He, he does get... He doesn't get in as much, I think, into patriarchy, but he does give a, a nice little layout. Uh, patriarchy that patriarchy shouldn't be a bad word. That it's really about fatherhood. Fatherhood is a good thing. Um, that the Christian religion is one of um, is a patriarchal religion. That it's bu built around the family, and the father is the head of the family. Um, and all those sorts of things. Let me see. Any other things to point out? Let me go back and look at the table of contents here. Overall, I would give this a recommendation. Um, realizing and advising you may need a dictionary <laughs> to get through it. Um, he does give a very excellent um, kind of primer on the virtues and uh, that virtue is at the heart of patriarchy, because of course patriarchy can go wrong, patriarchy can get corrupted, and part of that is the reason why feminism uh, caught on and, and had its success is because it was arguing against the corruption of patriarchy as much as uh, patriarchy itself. Uh, so he argues, you know, we need to take back the culture from feminist domination. He sort of tries to paint a picture at the end of what that would look like. Um, it gets perhaps a little bit too idealistic and impractical, um, but, you know, we need to sort of paint a picture, and I think it would be better if it would cast more in those terms of, you know, if we were to live out these virtues, if we were to, again, uh, live like a family in society and fathers fulfill their proper role, then that's what that would look like. 
it seems a little bit too de facto. Well, feminism is on the decline, and a new anti-feminist society would look like this. Well, even if feminism is on the decline, even if patriarchy is on the rise, it's not necessarily going to look like that. Um, That's what it looked like if everybody was perfect. Um, But everybody's not going to be perfect. But this is what we ought to envision and hold up as the goal to which we're moving, uh, where uh, patriarchy is lived out as it should be, as an exemplar of virtues. Well, I wanted to touch just a little bit more about a book I started a couple of days ago. And I think I may have been sent this as a promotion or something. I don't remember where I got it or how I got it. I think it just kind of came into the into the mailbox one day from from somewhere. But this is Michael Youssef's um, book, Saving Christianity, question mark. Are we supposed to save Christianity? Uh, The short answer is no, that uh, Christianity does the saving, or Jesus does the saving. We don't have to save it. Um, So the uh, tagline here is, the danger in undermining our faith and what you can do about it. So he says, he makes the argument that liberal Christians want to try to rescue Christianity from obscurity. You see that, for example, in uh, Bishop Spong's writings. That, um, In fact, I think that is a subheading of one of them. You know, um, a modern bishop tries to rescue the Bible or something. Um, and he, the only criticism I have so far is that he, in contrast to Timothy Gordon, this is a little bit too dumbed down. And this is a common fault that you find among evangelical writers. And I, I don't even know if it's necessarily a fault, but it is written intentionally for a non-Christian audience or to be accessible to a non-Christian audience, to an audience that knows nothing or very little about the Bible, about Christian doctrine and so forth. And so you read it, and it sounds like it's talking to, you know, a second grader or something. Um, Some parts more than others. This also may be um, a side effect of perhaps being originally delivered as sermons and then then something that is later turned into a book. So when you're speaking to an audience like that, it's more understandable and acceptable to talk on kind of a lower level um, to keep all your audience in and not have any of them tune out. Um, But when you get into a book, it it just ends up sounding a little bit weird sometimes. And that seems to be something that I find among a lot of evangelical writers. There's only one theological problem that I've come across so far with Father Youssef, and I'm sure he would hate that I called him Father Youssef, but he is a priest. Um, He's the rector of the Church of the Holy Apostles in Atlanta, or a suburb of Atlanta, They left the Episcopal Church, I don't know, 20 years ago or something. I forget if it was before or after Gene Robinson, but um, they've done very well. But on page 30, uh, he apparently believes in the doctrine of eternal security, uh, like a full-fledged Calvinist. Um, So he's talking about apostasy, um, leaving the Christian faith entirely. He says, apostasy is a willful departure from biblical Christian faith. It is the opposite of conversion. Now, does this mean that we as Christians can lose our salvation? No. So this is going against Anglicanism, going against Catholic Christianity. 
Now, you could, in a sense, make an argument that you can't lose your, salva- your salvation if you look at it in terms of salvation is something that is not finished yet. So we find in the New Testament that salvation is, is uh, talked about in uh, multiple tenses. So we, we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. It's something that's not a, a moment in time, but a process. A process that is, that is completed at the resurrection, the general resurrection. So I can say in, in one sense, I have been saved and that my conversion process has begun. I was baptized. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. My sins were washed away. The sanctification process has begun. Uh, but in another sense, I could say that I will be saved, that that process is not complete. The general resurrection has not happened yet. It is yet to be fulfilled. Uh, during that time, we have this life, which is the hour of decision. Um, when I can apostatize, when I can depart from the faith, where I can lose my salvation in the sense that I can deprive myself of sanctifying grace by rejecting God's grace. So we still have free will, even after our conversion. And so the question is, do we close out that hour of decision, close out our lifetime uh, on this earth um, in grace, in a, in a state of uh, estrangement from God? And that's up to us. And so we need to pray for, as is emphasized throughout the entire New Testament, the grace of perseverance. They wouldn't talk about persevering to the end if there were no question about whether people persevered to the end. Well, we're about out of time, so we will see you next week. Thank you for tuning in. Please like and share. And uh, if you're local, come join us at St. Francis Anglican Church in Dallas. God bless.